When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl, a lifestyle brand for women who love the great outdoors, spanning from hunting, fishing, foraging, archery, shooting sports, and the like. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and you can learn more about them at www.realcamogirl.com and follow them all across social media to learn more and get involved. Welcome to District of Conservation, Episode 16. 16 actually happens to be my favorite and lucky number. So I'm glad we've finally reached that point in the saga of District of Conservation in this podcast series. Today I'm going to discuss some important updates coming from Washington, D.C. You guys may have already heard that Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has resigned as of Saturday and he'll be in his post until December 31st, the year's end. And there are a few pieces of critical legislation for anglers in this episode that I'm going to discuss, much like the sportsman's package I alluded to before. So jump on for the ride and I will give you an overview. Secretary Zinke, as you guys know, and I think it's really important to discuss what this will entail and and what you can expect from this and why this is so important, uh, this update, not necessarily him resigning. And if you followed me on social media for a while, You know that I have been chronicling his work at the department since he began his tenure last March, March of 2017, and I will admit I was largely impressed with his agenda, his policy items, and the various positions he took while he was Interior Secretary. I also enjoyed the fact that he rode horseback to the Department of Interior on his first day at the job following his confirmation. I know some of you listening will likely disagree with my assessment of his tenure, but I think it's important to note that in spite of some of the scandals that kind of came back to him, to assess the very good things and many good things that had occurred under his tenure. I will admit I regret I did not have the opportunity to interview him. I was actively pursuing that for the longest time, and his press secretary and I had corresponded back and forth, but things just never materialized. So I would have totally brought him on the resurgent or here at the podcast had I had the opportunity. They prioritized the mainstream media outlets, and I totally understand that. And perhaps... With the new secretary, I'm going to have better luck at trying to get them to sit down with me for this podcast. So that'll be one of my goals for 2019 to get the acting interior secretary, perhaps, or perhaps whoever it takes over for Zinke. I think that'll be super important to get them in and have a conversation with them because they are doing pretty good work. So unlike some conservationists and sportsmen out there, I wasn't out for Zinke's blood. When I wrote about his efforts for the resurgent, I was fair and balanced. Much of what he was doing, I would say at the helms of the agency, was good for sportsmen. I don't recall anyone in recent memory, especially the last administration, seeing someone at the helms of such an agency actually advancing sportsmen's issues. I just saw a lot of preservationist policies and a few nuggets here and there for sportsmen, and arguably I didn't follow what was going on much except for when they banned lead tackle and bullets. And a few other 
items there that subtracted from the sportsman's lifestyle. But I don't believe Zinke's tenure was entirely destructive or horrible. A lot of people were forecasting doom and gloom, that he was selling off public lands to the highest bidder, and that's patently false. Now, excluding some missteps with spending and whatnot, I believe Zinke, the outgoing interior secretary, did a pretty decent job with advancing the sportsman's agenda. You can disagree with me, but on paper, it looks like he very much did. And some will say that his departure is largely due to uh, the blowback he received from scaling back Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments in Utah. But as I've argued at the resurgent in other places, that has little to do with his tenure. And actually, a lot of people want to see reforms placed onto the Antiquities Act of 1906. It's been outdated for a while. And secretaries and presidents have the right to add acres or subtract acres under this law. If you read section two of this law, it says the smallest contiguous parcels of land are subject to this law. And some believe also that, oh, he was selling public lands and whatnot and promoting an energy agenda, especially oil and gas exploration, led to his downfall. Whether you like it or not, we are now energy independent, I think, for the first time in 70, 75 years. And it's often wrong to paint those who partake in the energy sector, especially those who fish and hunt, as evil because we need their involvement as stakeholders in conservation. Natural resources management cannot take place without them. And I think those are two wrong reasons as to why he's resigning. I believe, and I've heard from numerous people, and kind of my doubts were confirmed as to why he resigned. And it's likely due to the fact that some spending issues and some ethical questions have kind of come back to creep him. He said in a statement that uh, a lot of spending, personal spending on his behalf, would distract from the Interior Department's goals. And here's what a statement said per Twitter. This is a, a portion of it, not the full one, but he tweeted out a statement that read, I love working for the president, and I'm incredibly proud of all the good work we've accomplished together. However, after 30 years of public service, I cannot justify spending thousands of dollars defending myself and my family against false allegations. So he believes that he's not in the wrong. Time will tell to see what will happen. Again, I think he wants to resign, and rightfully so, to avoid being lambasted and subpoenaed by incoming House Natural Resources Committee Chairman Raul Grijalva, who hates his guts. And if you guys follow either of them on Twitter, you'll see that recent Twitter spat that they've had, and it's pretty surprising. And Grijalva, as I previously discussed in episode 11, is no friend to sportsmen and gun owners, and you can listen to episode 11 to learn more about what his agenda is and why he has a very dangerous anti-hunting record, but uh, he does not like Zinke, and he wanted to see his downfall had he still remained in his post. And I will say this, Secretary Zinke was not perfect. Perfection, as my dad always told me, is for dead people. Dead people are perfect. And everyone is fallible and susceptible to doing bad things, sometimes unethical things. And I do believe that some of the spending and some of the deals he was partaking when likely distracted from his duties. And it's very similar to the case of former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, who was doing a great thing, rolling back a lot of excessive environmental, radical environmental policies, but he got caught up with various scandals and distracted from his overall mission. But his successor, Administrator Wheeler, has done a good job of continuing the agenda without subjecting himself to media spotlight. And I think the same 
is Lidzinki and Axios pointed this similarity out as well. And they say that David Barnhart, who is the number two at Interior, is more adept at dealing with and navigating the so-called Washington Swamp and in, in intergovernmental affairs, and that they'll see less ethical controversy and smoother processes, but very little policy shifts uh, from what Secretary Zinke was doing. And thankfully, anti-hunters and pseudo-conservationists won't get their way with respect to a new interior secretary. Whoever will replace Zinke is going to be the same sportsman, and again, perhaps less flashier, not so interested in doing media appearances all the time, probably a lot more reserved and more focused, but we shall see who that will be. And we'll probably know who the successor to the interior secretary will be either after this podcast is recorded and immediately after it's published, maybe Wednesday later today we'll know or Thursday or Friday. It's unpredictable as to when these announcements will come. I don't have that insider information as I'd like to, and I don't necessarily want to have that, but I suspect um, among the potential candidates, someone will come about and they've been putting out names there like outgoing Wisconsin governor, Scott Walker, outgoing Nevada, U S Senator Dean Heller, or attorney general, Adam Laxalt, who lost also his race as well for governor, uh, Idaho's Butch Otter, the outgoing Idaho governor and Utah's Sean Reyes. That was something that a Bloomberg reporter had fielded out there on Twitter. But I think a surprise contender, I don't know if this is accurate, could be outgoing Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who, if you guys watch any of the Trump rallies or follow politics closely, from my understanding, the president wanted this guy in his administration. He's a big sportsman. I can't confirm or deny whether or not that'll be the case, but that could be a surprise contender, I think, for the post. And others have wondered, and rightfully so, if someone more directly involved in conservation efforts and not so much politics will be selected, like a Becky Humphreys from National Wild Turkey Federation or perhaps the former Safari Club International CEO Rick Parsons. There are a bunch of conservationists who are not, let's say, famous in politics, but who do great work and they're very well known and renowned in conservation circles who could be chosen. It'll be interesting to see if a candidate will be fielded from perhaps that pool. That would be exciting, too to see that. But um, in spite of some of the controversies that surrounded Zinke, it's important to know what his agency did under his tenure. So first and foremost, they opened up millions of more acres for hunting and fishing on national wildlife refuges and other public lands, BLM lands, national monuments, things of that sort. There was no such thing as a national shooting sports month. And in August, 2017, his agency established that. So that's pretty good. I don't recall any other, past administrations ever having a month dedicated to the safe and responsible use of firearms or shotguns. So that was a really good initiative they put out and that was promoted largely by national shooting sports foundation. I've never heard, and I could be wrong of any councils advisory councils to the department of interior, including hunters, including the hunting and shooting sports council, and then the international wildlife conservation council, so that was pretty cool to see under his tenure. His first action item when he came to office was repealing that insane lead ban on tackle and bullets on national wildlife refuges put in place by the former U.S. Fish and Wildlife director who was very caustic in that regard. He also promoted more mixed use of public lands in the line of conservation, not preservation, contrary to what everyone believed that he was selling it to the highest bidder. 
Uh, his Fish and Wildlife Service promoted the reforming and not abolition of the Endangered Species Act to better reflect statuses of species in question, meaning that a species that's fully recovered shouldn't be having an endangered or threatened label attached to it, which I fully agree with. He also helped with proposing solutions to reduce the backlog at the National Park Service, which is over $12 billion uh, that both Republican and Democrat administrations failed to do and actually contributed to. He also drafted a memo noting that his department will give more oversight to states with respect to wildlife management efforts, which would still be in sync with federal agency goals, but not so much suffocating or strangling. And also his department supported recruitment, retention and reactivation efforts to get more Americans hunting and especially fishing too. And those are just a snapshot of his agenda items that were fulfilled. And I have no doubt that whether it's accurate, Acting Secretary David Bernhardt, or perhaps his eventual successor, they will continue the goals laid out by him, but with fewer media appearances and distractions. So uh, in spite of sportsmen losing him as an advocate, I think we'll be gaining someone as well who perhaps will be a little more careful because the media is out to get anyone who's a hunter or has a high position in government and uh, someone who will perhaps be a little bit more careful with funds. So that'll be exciting to see, to see who his successor will be. Last week, I had mentioned the sportsman's package Congress is deliberating. For this podcast, I'm going to briefly discuss two important bills with respect to anglers and recreational fishermen. The first being an update on the Modern Fish Act. So I'm not going to go into great detail with the Modern Fish Act. We discussed it in episode 12 with Alan Luck of Keep America Fishing slash American Sport Fishing Association, you can defer back to that episode, but an important update that just broke yesterday afternoon from the Center for Sport Fishing Policy was that the bill was passed unanimously in the United States Senate, and a bill must go back to the House of Representatives for reconciliation because both legislation pieces are slightly a difference and the versions have to be reconciled and packaged into something good or amenable. And then it can go on to be signed by the president of the United States. And again, you can refer back to episode 12 as to why this is a win for sportsmen and anglers. So I won't bore you too much with a discussion there. The final piece, an important point I want to make for this episode, episode 16 of district of conservation is a discussion of the endangered salmon predation prevention act. If I said that too fast, I would lose you guys and I would commit a (laughs) blunder with respect to my speech. So I'm not going to say that any faster, but I hadn't previously discussed this bill and I wanted to do so now. A version of it was passed in both chambers of the House and Senate and and it's awaiting signage by the president. I'm not sure when it's going to go to his desk or if it's already been signed, but latest updates have it not signed into law yet. But why... I want to discuss this goes back to the over one of the goals I established early on in this podcast is to underscore the importance of legislation to help cull or manage invasive or predatory species that are not being controlled and that are decimating ungulate or lower rank species. And in this case, the Pacific salmon is an ungulate species that the California sea lion is feeding off of with no limits and people in that region in the Pacific Northwest are seeing devastating consequences with that. If you love salmon fishing in that area, you may not have the opportunity. If this piece of legislation doesn't go into effect 
because of predatory sea lions. And you will see a lot of opposition or you may have seen already opposition to this piece by animal rights activists. And I'm going to explain why it's very critical to see this piece of legislation passed. It's not going to be the cure all end all for the problem there, but it could be one of the solutions to help better manage that sea lion population there. And why should you care about this? Again, if you believe in culling as a deterrence, like in the case of wolves, bears, especially for predator or managed hunts, you should equally support this, even if you don't live in the region. This all affects us in some way or another, and God forbid this were to happen, let's say, in the corridors where the Atlantic salmon are, where I hope to fish one day. Uh, it's equally important regardless of where you live across the country. So the goal of this bill is to ensure the survival of, of endangered salmon, steelhead, and other native fish species in the Columbia River system. It will allow various stakeholders, including tribal members and government fish managers, to remove California sea lions using both lethal and non-lethal means to remove predatory sea lions in areas where they pose the greatest harm to the fish in question. This bill will amend existing law, the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972, which currently prohibits the taking of all marine animals, whales, dolphins, porpoises, seals and sea lions, manatees, dungongs, sea otters, and polar bears without a permit within contiguous United States water. The current language states that people cannot harass, feed, hunt, capture, collect, or kill any mammal, specifically sea lions in this case, under the law. But this new law will amend existing law to make it so managed hunts could take place so the salmon wouldn't be depleted any further. So this will empower the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to issue either one or five-year permits, I believe it's five-year permits, uh, for the lethal and non-lethal extraction of sea lions as long as their population isn't depleted. And states and Native American tribes will be able to qualify for permits, and this will include the states of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and participating tribes number in the dozens. So I, uh, I'll include information there for you guys to read and search for yourself to see what stakeholders will be involved. This is going to be good legislation, conservation-based, in line with the Endangered Species Act, not overusing it, but also hopefully seeing a resurgence of the Pacific salmon, because we would hate to see that beautiful fish that we also feed on become endangered and have fewer opportunities to pursue. So I think that's a really good piece of legislation. Um, it had actually strong bipartisan support, surprisingly. So that'll be good to see that sign into law very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and other supporting providers of this podcast, District of Conservation. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook leave a comment, subscribe, hit that button, share across different platforms and show your support. Offer your comments in the affirmative or negative. I don't care how you feel, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, honest thoughts. And we hope that you guys will continue to listen. With the holiday season coming up, I should be doing some interviews. I may be doing shorter segments to accommodate the holiday season, but you guys will see in the coming week or so, or week, two weeks, I should say, as to what type of content I'll put out there, but I won't neglect during this holiday season and I'll be sure to produce content and deliver that to you accordingly on Tuesdays, even if it coincides with the holiday. So thank you guys and be sure to subscribe and check us out. Thank you.